Just to begin the message, let's, um, let's practice some silence for a moment. Okay, so we know it can be done. We know it can be done, other than the bellies I heard grumbling <laughs> on occasion. But it's difficult. It's hard for us to stop, to be quiet. You know, I, I love church history, as many of you know, and some very strange things happened in the church in the Middle Ages. And some of them are kind of sad, but at the same time, some of them are humorous. And the events that I'm talking about surrounded the rise of what was called monasticism. Monasticism. Uh, we use the word monasticism to describe the movement. Uh, we use the term monastic to describe a person that was involved in it. We use the term monastery to describe the place where the monastics went and did their monasticism. And even the word monk is derived from Monastic. The word in the in its original meaning, and it's a word from the Greek language, means alone. Alone. The monastics are those who chose a religious way of life that involved the renouncing of worldly pursuits to set themselves apart from other people for for spiritual work. Monastics are not limited to Christianity, but they're found in virtually every major religion in the world, from Buddhism to Hinduism to Islam, even Judaism. We, of course, are concerned with Christianity here today. The devotion to a life of, of renouncing worldly comforts and going into solitude took a lot of different forms. One of the most humorous was one that happened in the Middle Ages where a group of guys decided they were going to take a vow to never bathe again. They were never going to take a bath. And you don't have to be real smart to figure out that living apart from people would not be a problem because nobody would want to be around you. But there was a whole order of them that rose up and they just didn't bathe and they stunk, I'm sure. Then there was a guy named Anthony the Great who's considered really the founder of many of the monastic orders. And uh, around 320... He moved into a cave in Egypt, and there he dwelt, and others came around and found caves, and he became a mentor to many of them. They were called the Anchorites, and that word actually means retirement. They retired from society, and they spent time alone in the wilderness, much of their, much of their time, excuse me, alone in the wilderness. One of the most famous of the Anchorites was Simeon of the Pillar. In 423, he left the monastery and he built a pillar, a tall pillar, and he lived on top of that pillar. It was not even big enough for him to stretch out on, but he lived on top of that pillar and boys would climb the pillar and give him bread and goat milk and he was a bit strange, but he felt the call to be apart from people, to be alone. So even today, there's a, there's a there are many who feel called to a life of seclusion as a biblical practice. I think you probably have to stretch the scriptures
to come up with an idea that we're meant to live apart from culture altogether. John the Baptist was one who lived apart with the Essenes down along the, the Dead Sea for a season. So I'm not calling you to some kind of extreme like that today. There's no need to kiss your spouse goodbye and head to the wilderness, leaving, of course, your towel and soap behind. But I'm going I'm to call you to a lesser degree of that, and I plan to use the Bible to make my appeal. So let's get into the discipline of silence and solitude, and let's begin with some definition of it. First of all, for some of us, the call to silence and solitude is very appealing, especially to mothers of toddlers. It's very appealing. Do you remember the old TV ads? This would be back in the, probably in the 70s, I would think, or 80s. Some of you are laughing because you weren't even born yet, but some of the, the TV ads for Calgon, and Calgon was some sort of, I almost said dish detergent, but it, it was a, it, yeah, it, it was a, uh, bu- a bubble bath type stuff, and the woman is in the house during the, in the ads, and she's just, the kids are screaming, and she's wanting to pull her hair out, and you can tell she's frustrated, and she says, Calgon, take me away. And instantly, the scene changes, and she's soaking in a tub of bubbles, just relaxing, no kids screaming, anything like that. If only it were that easy, mobs. Calgon never had a commercial featuring a frustrated man. Guys, that's because we are usually checked out in our brains most of the time. So we don't, I think this, this is less of a problem for men, because we're used to checking out. But... Silence and solitude are found in the Scriptures. And Moses is arguably the greatest character in the Old Testament. He practiced silence and solitude. Paul, perhaps the greatest in the New Testament other than Jesus, Paul practiced a long season, years of solitude in the wilderness. But they didn't stay there. They had things to do among the people, and it's their work among men that causes us to esteem them. Yet, the fact is that they spent time in silence and solitude. And the men that they were were due to that silence and solitude. So clearly, the, the commands of the New Testament cannot be carried out in the, in the context of isolation. How, for example, do you follow the command in Scripture to serve one another, love one another, and so on, all the one another's in Scripture? How do you do that if you are living in total isolation with one another? Most of the commands of the New Testament cannot be lived out in isolation. Yet isolation is something that God calls us to so that we can better live, better express the character of Christ. So it's very common to refer to the subjects of silence and solitude together. They're very closely related. Now I want to share a couple definitions. And these definitions come from a book called Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. He starts with this. The discipline of silence is the voluntary and temporary abstention from speaking so that certain goals might be sought. Sometimes silence is observed in order to read, write, pray, and so on. Solitude is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. A period of solitude may last a few minutes or for days. So it's difficult for people to be, to, for us to be silent when people are around us 
So to exercise silence, we get away. Hence, we put together silence and solitude. Now, as I've already pointed out, these disciplines are abused when we use them to avoid people. How many of you would consider yourselves to be introverts today? Okay, a good many of you, at least probably about half of you, consider yourselves to be introverts. I am, I am one of them, and I have discovered, though, over the years that I do need people. I do need a community of people around me. And on that, the Bible is very clear. But some of us are introverts, and we have a little less trouble finding times of silence and solitude when, when we have that kind of personality. It just kind of comes naturally for us. But don't forget, you need other people. Those of you who are extroverts, you love being around people. We introverts can't even understand this, but you actually get energized by being around other people. Now, I get energized with people, but I like to pick and choose a little bit. You know, I, uh, I think most introverts are like that. Um, so it'd be a little more difficult for an extrovert to, to practice. But introverts and extroverts alike often don't realize how addicted we are to noise and activity. I mean, think about how addicted we are. For some people, there, there's seldom a moment that is not filled with either noise or activity, usually both. If the TV isn't on, the music is blasting from our devices, Emails and text messages are flying all over the place. Phone calls are being exchanged. And some people are skilled enough to do that all at once. And I don't understand that. I had a memory uh, the other day thinking about this from a number of years ago. I will soon be attending, in, in, actually in September, be attending my 50th high, high school reunion. So 50 years ago at this time, the month of August, June, July, and August, I had graduated, I was waiting to go off to Bible college, and uh, I, my friends and I w were hanging around and we had time before life actually began, and it did, and we'd never stopped since, but anyway, um, but we, we, would, um, we would go and play tennis at night, and there was a, a high school that had uh, courts available to the public, all you had to do was walk up, flip the lights on, and play tennis, and we would we'd start playing sometimes at 10 or 11 at night. And we would play till about 2 in the morning, and then we'd go and grab a bite to eat. And we had day jobs, so we weren't worth much then, but we had day jobs. And, um, but we, we had a great time that summer. And I remember one night after playing tennis, it was 2 a.m. I remember it very clearly. We went into one of my friend's house, homes. I had, he had been one of my best friends. I, I really um, had been in his home, I can't tell you how many times, stayed over there, everything. I was very familiar with the house and so on. And he walked in to get something. He ran into his room to get something. And I was standing by myself in the living room, and I thought, something is weird here. What is going on? I felt this weird sensation. And I looked around, and the, the furniture was still in the same place. Nothing had been changed. Uh, I'm looking around saying, what is different? And it hit me. It was the first time in probably 10 years since I hung out with this guy, he did not have a TV on. The TV was constantly blaring in the house. When you had conversations, even important conversations in that family, they were speaking above the TV, trying to talk over it to one another. And it's just wild. That was in the early 70s. Now we have every electronic device imaginable. 
and our lives are consumed with beeps and whistles and honks and buzzes and vibrations, the average American spends three hours and 15 minutes a day on their smartphone. Three hours and 15 minutes a day. We check our phones as Americans, and we're not the worst at this, but we check our phones 58 times a day. That's all right, I guess. But the sad thing is, we can spend an entire day and never even think about getting alone with God for one minute. Never enters our mind to get alone with God for one minute. It seems that we are addicted to noise and allergic to solitude. Some of us can't sit still without some sort of background noise. I had a roommate in Bible college. He, would, he, he was a Puerto Rican brother. He was an awesome guy. And, and he, he would listen to this Spanish music playing, and I could hear it thumping through his headset. And he was, he, he'd be rocking like this in the bed, his legs going and everything, and he's studying for a theology test. That's how he studied. He, and, and I said, how do you do that? I, I can't, I don't understand how you can do it. But we are just so used to noise. And I want to challenge you today. I, I want to dare you to leave the electronics and even other people for designated periods of time and just get alone and quiet with God. Smartphones can be dumb choices if they're on our hips every minute we don't allow time for God to speak. And so that's my first point. The second thing I want to share with you is the example of Jesus. Let's see what Jesus did. And it's very plain to see in the Scripture that Jesus practiced silence and solitude. And as I study his life, I, I'm struck with how comfortable he was with people. He was friendly. He was outgoing. He was humorous, honest, transparent. And when needed, he was confrontational. Jesus was fun to be around. Even little kids would come and sit on his knee. He was comfortable with the rich and the poor and with men and with women, with crowds and one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus was a people person. He was comfortable in a big city, in a small village, out in farmland somewhere. He was compassionate toward the needs of both the multitudes and individuals. He was so compassionate that he healed their sick and he set the oppressed free. But there was something in his life that is behind all of his dealings with men and women. There was a secret to Jesus' ministry that we can't miss in the Gospels, if we read them plainly. Jesus spent time in silence and solitude. Matthew 4.1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. We all are familiar with that. He went into solitude in the desert to be tempted, in this case, 40 days. And what I find most interesting about this passage is that it marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very beginning. The previous chapter ended with the baptism of John, and then Jesus gets baptized, and it says in Matthew 3 and verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now this was the initiation of Jesus into ministry. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The voice of the Father booms out of heaven. His ministry is commencing. 
And in Matthew 4, 1, the passage I already read you, his first act of ministry is to go into silence and solitude. It's the first thing Jesus did when he began his ministry. It was a priority to him. Now, if I had an experience like Jesus in the Jordan River, and a voice came out of heaven, and a dove literally came down and descended on my head, and a voice came out of heaven telling me how God is pleased with me and telling others around me, I would probably not start with silence and solitude. I'd start with a sermon. Maybe I'd start with a healing crusade. Maybe I'd have a bold confrontation of the Pharisees or, or confront some demonically possessed person. Jesus begins his ministry with the discipline of silence and solitude, and that speaks volumes. Luke's account tells us Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit when he entered the wilderness. And after his 40 days, we are told in Luke 4 and, 4 and verse 14, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. It was then that he began his ministry of teaching, but not until his time of solitude. This was not an accident on Jesus' part, and it's no accident that on part two, on the part of two of the gospel writers, to catch this secret of Jesus' ministry. Here's another one, Matthew 14 and 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there all alone. When did this happen? This came on the heels of Jesus feeding 5,000 plus the women and children. It was an amazing miracle. Huge crowd in attendance. Why not take advantage of the crowd being there? Why not make this opportunity a time to teach and, and, and promote your ministry? It's a good PR event here when you feed the 5,000. But Jesus goes away by himself into silence and solitude where he prays. In Mark 1 and verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, wouldn't let them speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus had a late night of ministry. The entire town is there. He's got the attention of the whole place. And as soon as morning comes, he gets away from the crowds and spends time in solitude. Now put yourself in Jesus' sandals for a moment. You have a, mini you have a ministry that is in demand. People are suffering and hurting. You have the goods to take care of that. With all the needs around you and the power to meet those needs... Can you justify time alone when there's needy people? Jesus never felt the need to justify it. He simply made it his practice, and he never apologized. What about us today? If Jesus needed silence and solitude, do you think that we just might as well? He modeled it for us, yet perhaps it is the most neglected discipline of all to be like Jesus we have to follow his example and exercise the discipline of silence and solitude. And so we've defined silence and solitude. We've looked at the example of Jesus. Let's talk about the why right now, the value of silence and solitude. Why should you exercise 
these disciplines. First of all, silence and solitude has a value of being with our Father. Being with our Father. That sounds so simple. But I learned this value the hard way many years ago. I remember feeling very down and burned out. And I was sensing that the Lord was calling me to get away for a couple of days, two full days and two nights, to spend time with Him. And I was willing to go at that time because I was, I was frazzled. And as I prepared and made arrangements, make sure the family was okay and uh, things were taken care of, um, I began to imagine this powerful encounter with God. I began to imagine this great revelation that was going to come as I went out to the wilderness to spend this time in prayer. And it was going to be a, it's going to have a profound effect on the direction of the church in my own life and ministry. I borrowed a pack frame from Paul Vore. I'll, ne I'll never forget that. And I loaded it up and went out near my hunting grounds in West Finley. I hiked to the bottom of this massive bowl that was there in the woods. And I set up camp and I was eager to receive profound revelation. I wandered through the woods that first day, and the heavens were like brass, and I became very discouraged. I, I fell asleep that night, and I expected God to awaken me with something amazing. And the only thing that woke me that night was one of the farmer's horses that ran loose on the property, and he came upon my tent that was in his way, and he, I was sleeping. He snorted. It sounded like the devil was coming after me that night, scared me so bad, and took me half the night to get back to sleep. No divine encounters. The second day was like the first. I wandered through the woods talking to God and hearing and feeling nothing whatsoever. And no divine encounters. And so I prepared for my second night of depressing sleep. And as the campfire dwindled down, I will never forget this picture. There's a few embers there in front of me, and I took my Bible, and I, I cracked it open, and I leaned it towards the little embers so that I could read a little bit. And I just did one of those things. Most spiritual pastors do this. You, you just, you randomly open the Bible and, and, you know, hope that God gives you something. I did. I confess I did that. I was so desperate. And I opened to the verse. I, I, I wrote it down here. It's incredible. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 19, and this is what it says. Then the secret was revealed. I don't know what's going on here. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Oh, that was amazing. The night vision Daniel had. That's a, I opened to that verse, put my finger right there and read it, closed my Bible, crawled in my sleeping bag, and went to sleep, awaiting this incredible vision in the middle of the night. And what awakened me was not what I expected. It wasn't a horse again or anything like that. What woke me was the bright morning sun. There would be no night vision, no word from God. And I packed up my camp and I prepared for the steep hike out of the woods back to my car once everything was tied on the backpack, I, I decided to sit and rest for a few minutes before I left. And I lamented to the Lord about his silence. And all the effort that I'd taken to get there, spending two days away from my family, all that it took. And it was then that the Lord spoke 
softly and clearly to me. And this is what I heard him say. I called you here because I just wanted to spend time with you. I had an agenda. He wanted to be with me. He wanted to fellowship with me. I've never forgotten that lesson. If this were the only value for me of silence and solitude, it would be worth it. But being with the Father is really the primary reason for silence and solitude. The second, a second reason can be to worship. There are many ways to worship. We can play an instrument. We can sing, dance, shout. We can kneel, stand, lie prostrate on the floor. But has it ever occurred to you that silence can be an act of worship? Um, I mean, I know I'm talking to a bunch of charismatics and stuff, so we don't know much about silence and when it comes to worship. But Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20, But the Lord, he says, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Zephaniah 1.7, Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord. There are times to speak, and there are times for silent adoration when words would be inappropriate. I found this entry in the, in the journal of the great revivalist George Whitfield who preached the first great awakening. He described an encounter that he had with the Lord in the quiet of his home. And this is what he wrote in his journal, quote, God was pleased to pour into my soul a great spirit of supplication and a sense of his free, distinguishing mercy so filled me with love, humility, joy, and holy confusion that I could at last only pour my heart before him in awful silence. I was so full that I could not speak. Interesting experience. I want to encourage you to make room in your life for silent worship. A third reason to follow silence and solitude is to listen. Noise is so deeply embedded in our culture, as I said, it's hard to escape. I don't want to give you the impression that we can't hear God in the midst of everyday life because we can and we should hear his voice all the time. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Holy Spirit can speak to us in the most mundane of circumstances and I've received so much direction from the Lord when I was mowing my grass or doing some mindless thing and the Lord would speak to me. But these times of silence are precious times to listen. Many of you know I love to hunt. And I must have a bad cord on this thing. I love to hunt, and um, I, I used to think, I'm a little too old for that now, but I used to go out about 6.30 in the morning, climb a tree stand, a little two-by-two two platform, and I would stand there and stay until 5 p.m. if I didn't see a deer. So 10 and a half hours of, of standing on a tree stand. And I learned during those times, I'll switch off here. And I learned during those times how to enjoy the quiet of the woods and how to enjoy the presence of the Lord. How to just enjoy time with him on those long days in the tree stand. So there are times when God wants to speak to us and he often speaks in the midst of silence. You remember the story of Elijah when he was running from Jezebel? He was discouraged, he was burnt out, and uh, he went into a cave, it says in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 9, if you'll look at that passage, he went into the cave to spend the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God speaks often in times of solitude in a gentle whisper. Jesus, Jesus chose a time of solitude when he selected his 12 apostles. He was listening to the Father. I'm sure he had been praying, who are the 12 going to be? And it says in Luke 6, one of those days Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Sometimes God wants to speak to you in silence and solitude. So make room for that in your life. Don't be so addicted to noise. Make room for that. Another reason, a fourth reason for silence and solitude is to be restored. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is talking to us about our, our needless striving for peace that we do all the time. We need to be restored. The rat race of life takes a toll on us physically and spiritually. And we're so accustomed to the noise and the busyness that we feel guilty if we're not in constant activity from the time we wake up in the morning until we fall into our beds at night. On one occasion, Jesus sent the 12 out to preach the word and to minister to the needy. And they came back with these amazing reports. And it says in Mark 6 and verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught. Then because the people were so many and were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He's teaching his disciples, you need to get away and rest. The next reason is to exercise self-control. I don't think we realize just how addicted we are to talking and busyness. And this is something I found some of the mystics who wrote about this and practiced this. This was something that was a little bit surprising to me um, about the, the, the fact of actually being quiet when you're in a time of silence and solitude and not filling it with words. Um, someone said, God has given us two ears and one mouth. You've heard that said. And that ought to tell us something we should do is twice as much listening as we do talking. But most of us do way more talking than we do listening. Proverbs 17 says, A man of knowledge uses words carefully with restraint. And a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool is thought to be wise if he keeps silent and discerns and discerning if he holds his tongue. James 1.6, If anyone considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Ecclesiastes 5.3, a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. So we put this together. When you begin to see that the tongue needs to be disciplined, learning to keep the tongue under control for extended periods of time will help you discipline your tongue all the time. And I think, honestly, this might sound strange, but I think the average 
Christian talks too much when they pray. We spend too little time communing with the Lord or worshiping the Lord and just hitting with our requests all the time and telling God all the specific details. And I always picture the Father in heaven just saying, oh, thanks for telling me that. I didn't know that, you know, when we're telling him all this stuff. Now, it's good to, to bring our needs before him. But I'm saying in your time of prayer, don't just make it petition, asking all the time. Let there be times when you're silent and just listening to the Lord. And then finally, we can do silence and solitude, and I'm shortening these points for the sake of time, to refocus. You ever been at a place in your life where you just need to hit the reset button? Some of you might be there right now. In the midst of the craziness of our lifestyles, there are times when we need to refocus, times when our faith seems to be challenged and we, and we get so beat up by life. We have difficulty believing the promises of God. We have a story in the beginning of Luke's gospel about Zechariah. He was the father of John the Baptist. And it was his time to minister in the temple. You probably know the story. While he was there, the angel Gabriel shows up and appears to him and told him that his wife was going to have a baby boy and they were to name him John. And uh, Zechariah was told about his son's ministry, that he would carry the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah doubted the angel, and as a result, he entered a season of forced silence. God took away from Zechariah the ability to talk. Talk about silence and solitude. And he took away his ability to talk. He came out of the temple, and his colleagues perceived that he had had a vision, and he did his best to describe in sign language what had happened, and he finished his duties and went back home. And sure enough, his elderly wife got pregnant, and he spent nine long months in silence, unable to speak. But something happened on the inside of Zechariah in that time of silence. And when the child was finally born, they came to the eighth day when he was to be circumcised and given his official name. Everyone assumed he would be named after his daddy, Zechariah, of course. You name him after your daddy. His mother, Elizabeth, said they'll name him John. And the neighbor said, no, there's no one in your family with that name. You can't use John. So they did sign language routine to ask Zechariah for confirmation. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote on the tablet... His name is John. And the, and the scripture says in Luke 1, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose and he began speaking and praising God. Zechariah was no longer doubting. Something had happened in the old priest. He had a new focus on life, centered in believing the promises of God. And it came out of a period, forced in his case, of silence and solitude. So there are so many things that can come our way through this. With the Father, worship, listening, being restored, exercising self-control, refocusing our lives. So many benefits there are to this. And I want to wrap up just very quickly here with a couple of practical suggestions in this call to inaction. Okay? First of all, real quickly, start small. Do 60-second retreats if you need to. Do you remember John and Charles Wesley, the great founders of Methodism? Um, their mother, Suzanne, had 11 children. 
And it is said that, that when she needed silence and solitude, she had a practice of taking her apron and pulling it up over her head and standing off in a corner somewhere. And her kids knew what that meant. She trained them what that meant. That's how she did silence and solitude. Ladies, some of you are going to have to start wearing an apron or something and, and, um, and just, just step aside. It's okay if it's a minute. It's okay if it's five minutes. Don't say, I'm going to, from now on, after hearing this, I'm going to spend 60 minutes a day in silence and solitude. Don't do that, unless you're comfortable with doing it and God tells you to, but make it, make it very simple and slow. 60 seconds, practice periods of time like that. Then, discipline yourself for a daily time of silence and solitude. Uh, missionary martyr Jim Elliott said this. He said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on those three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. That is so true. Discipline yourself for a daily time of silence. Thirdly, find a regular place of silence and solitude. It might be in your home. It might be on a walking path somewhere. You might like to be out in the woods. Whatever is a comfortable place for you, but have a place for silence and solitude. Fourthly, get away for an evening or an overnight time of silence and solitude. Schedule something where you can spend a whole night in quiet by yourself. And then, very practically here, trade off with someone else so you can each enjoy some time away. Watch each other's kids, something like that. Just do what you need to do in a very practical way to make sure this happens. Silence and solitude will look different for all of us. The way we practice it, it'll look different for each one of us. But I just want to encourage you. Again, it's not a call to action. This is a call to inaction. And just ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. Let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful today for your word. I thank you for the, the time here in your presence today. Lord, it's been good to come together corporately. But I'm asking you just to put a reminder in our hearts this week that we would set a time, aside some time just to be with you, just in, in silence, in solitude. May we make time for that and practice that in our lives on a regular basis, Father. Give us wisdom how to carry that out. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us even about how addicted we are to noise and confusion, busyness all the time. Convict our hearts about that, and you, we would lay those things aside for these seasons of time away with you. So we bless you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.